Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January 9th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have featured over 140 poets in 17 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Kalisa Ray. Hi, Kalisa. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Me too. So you brought with you your poem, WAP as Wishing Well. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I am a poet, an essayist, and an educator here in Durham, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and am a transplant, I guess you could say, <laughs> to the South. Much mm-hmm. of the writing that I have been doing has been a lot about sexual repression and religious shame culture that happens mm-hmm. in the Black community and in the South. And I always tell people first that I've been living here for like 14 or 16 years, mm-hmm. but I'm originally from you know, outside Chicago and, and started writing when I was a young girl and then got involved in like the, the slam community. I was, was born and raised in like the performing arts and was a, a, a music baby. And then I was like, oh, wow, like you can, you can mesh the art of <laughs> writing with performance. And the, mm-hmm. that's how I stumbled upon, upon the slam world and the performance world. And then I went off to, to college and and that was like my side love. You know, I was in academia and I, I, mm. I loved academia, but I also needed that extra little excitement and that thrill of being on stage and being a performer. And so I've always, um, you know, throughout the course of my like writing career, just me as a person, I've always wanted to be able to mesh the performative art and the literary art mm. um, as well. I've always loved to read, but I, I love seeing stories come to life on stage and yeah so I just had my forthcoming collection Ghost of Black Girls Throat come out and then look forward to all of the wonderful release of the book that's coming out uh, Unlearning Eden so Mm. yeah I've just been on kind of a a high lately of just like celebrating my collections and being able to walk into that fully because I quit my job recently and I became a full-time author so yeah congratulations space to be in Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big step. So how do you it feel? Is. How do you feel about that? I feel it's terrifying, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my husband just got a house mm. and, you know, that's a really scary thing to do when he, <laughs> yes. you are an adult writer mm-hmm. and you decide to do it full time and you know that for the first time in your life, as a 30-something person, you're going to have a mortgage and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to have a consistent income, which is terrifying. So I think it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. It's liberating. It's freeing, but it's super scary. Mm. And so that's the place that I'm in. It's ironic that my therapist says that's what my life's motto is right now, that everything in my life is going to be scary, but it's going to be freeing. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what most of my work is reflecting too, that I'm writing very things that scare me, but they're freeing, you know, they're liberating. So that's the space I'm in right now. That's, yeah, that is very exciting. It, it, it is a, can be very nerve-wracking. I, I imagine, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm kind of uh, kind of in the same boat, but, you know, it, it's this thing about the arts world, right, is you have to invest a lot of your energy. Well, really, anything that's remotely entrepreneurial which the arts world is uh, for many in many ways right yeah uh, the ecosystem we have is that you are required to put in so much of your time at the same time yes. that you are still making a living somehow from either cobbling <laughs> part-time jobs or having a full-time job um, yes and it is so uh, very i feel like unfair oh yeah because how are we really supposed to put our whole selves into our art if we, exactly. you know, yeah. On the positive side, I think we can draw from those other experiences at the same time. I think it will be much better to not have that stress of needing to produce because art doesn't really work on the same timeline as a nine to five so yeah and I feel like that's the additional plight of like being a person of color too right because you have that extra layer of pressure and competition Mm -hmm. to produce and achieve especially if you you know came from a household well that was important and then especially if you grew up in academia where that was important Mm -hmm. you know it's like the rat race I talk to my my friends about this often the rat race of like this never ending uh, feeling like you, you need to be producing. Mm -hmm. And then if you get on social media, everybody is almost trying to outproduce themselves. (laughs) And so it can be a lot, you know, especially in the literary community. It can, you have to reject it almost, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's simultaneous. You have to reject it to do your own art, to, Yes. concentrate on your own art at the same time you have to have another part that's playing the game because yep. that yep. is the ecosystem again um, yes and yeah it's a, it's a hard balance <laughs> yeah it really is and it's it's very schizophrenic in that in that way um <laughs> yeah that's a great way of <laughs> that's such a great way of putting it it's like i want to i want to make all the things I can't pay attention to other people making all the things. I need to stay in my own little box, but I have to pay attention to what's going on in the industry. And it's like this back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Because <laughs> at some point, the business side of it kicks in, right? The marketing mm-hmm. aspect. and Yes. Uh, and it's frustrating because it's not... I don't think many people understand that aspect of it. And sometimes... Yeah pursuing that part or, or following that aspect of it can be misunderstood. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like my, the, the, you know, matrix always say that an artist doesn't naturally have that business savvy, which is why we often fail in that area because, you know, the right brain and the left brain, we're using, you know, the, our feelings and we're emoting. And mm-hmm. then when you get thrown into like the, the full business side, it's like, whoa, this is like a whole other territory. Because so many of us weren't taught, you know, the art of, of being 
a full-time artist and making a living and the business savvy of like the chops it takes to, to really do that and do that successfully. So Oh, yeah. yeah, I, uh, I, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it really, it really isn't. Um, and that's, that's why I, when I say it's unfair, that's kind of what I'm uh, referring to, because I think, you know, we have to recognize this within our species or, you know, any species really is that not everyone can, uh, can be able to to excel in every aspect of life, right? And we have to take that into account within reason, obviously, because there are artists who are terrible people. And I think sometimes we forgive that way too much because of their talent and Mm -hmm. ignore those people who are not able to maybe market themselves well, but Mm -hmm. still are as talented, but needs uh, really the platform, uh, people who yeah. are rallying behind them. So that's also important. Yeah. When we were talking off, off, off mic, off camera, mm-hmm. um, about that's why resources, you know, providing resources for underserved and like emerging folks or folks that don't have all of the privileges is so important, you yes. know, like the anti gatekeeping and making spaces and, tools and tips and tricks and resources available for people because I think that's what happens is like the elite and the the best and the award-winning and the achievers get to just you know do whatever they want and not be held accountable and as you said you know not good, be good people but they get to shine mm-hmm. and then those that don't have those same opportunities are kind of struggling and so that's why I've tried really hard to provide resources and opportunity and spaces of community you know we're not Mm -hmm. gonna always all get along you know it's not always kumbaya but I've tried to you know really focus on like how can I create community and how can I provide resources because I've seen especially as a woman of color I've seen that go so so awry where it's like oh man like me and my friends we want to shoot for that opportunity or we want to go for that thing but we didn't know about it or we didn't have access to the subscription that costs fifty dollars to sign up for you know poets and writers or the magazines that come out so yeah yeah I think that's why community is so important yeah it is very very important to have that community and to pick up what you talked about just a little bit before about gatekeeping I think there is going to be gatekeeping no matter what no as a as a platform provider right you are gatekeeping because unfortunately we just don't have unlimited resources and we do have pick and choose but it is important for uh, gatekeepers like us or platform providers really to keep in mind some of the things that really helps to level the playing field, such as providing platforms for diverse voices to come through, maybe even voices saying things that we don't necessarily subscribe to personally. But, um, you know, as long as they are respectful of um, other human beings, (laughs) I I think it's important to bring those voices to the fore so that the ecosystem is not continually churning as if, oh, we have to tolerate artists who are horrible people. No, we don't. Right. Uh, the fact is, yeah. it's not an even playing field. And we need to even it out so that other voices who are from mm-hmm. decent folks and just as yeah. talented can come through. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling you that's why the Women of Color Speak series that I started with Guy Rayshon was so important for me because mm -hmm. we were seeing that same thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's so interesting. You brought up a new light. All of us that are platform providers and all of us that create some sense of opportunity or resource our community, we're technically all gatekeepers. And so that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I know that one of our missions in Women of Color Speak series was to have it be intentional though mm -hmm. if you will yeah. i think that we intentionally provided a very specific platform for voices that were underserved and underrepresented particularly mm -hmm. the fact that we were so frustrated with seeing just as you said like all of the diamonds in the rough and the and the, and the gorgeous talented writers not get any shine out there especially those those of color across mm -hmm. like gender variants and so we wanted to really create a platform and it was weird to like hear people say stuff like wow we've never been in a space that was just curated for uh, folks of color across gender variants mm -hmm. and it just like we were like what like what do you mean like yes. in your community they don't have that and many people were like no like that was like common sense to me because everywhere I've I've been in North Carolina I've always started some type of like queer, trans, non-binary, feminist, poetry, literary community. Like everywhere I go, I, I try to start something like that. And mm -hmm. so to me, it just is common sense. But for these folks, they were just saying, no, like this isn't like what literary magazines are doing. It's not what literary communities are doing. They're not like fostering this intentional um, sense of like creating specific equitable platforms. And so yeah. yeah, I say all that to just echo everything that you just said. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I love I love the platform you are providing as well and having that specific intention. And that's the same with Poets and Muses as well, is that, you know, yeah. there's, there's just an underrepresentation of women in, in general, but also women of color and, and people of color from, yeah. from different gender spectrums as well as uh, sexual I identities. And yeah. I, I think there are many voices that need to be heard to make the greater public realize that, no, it's not just, you know, uh, a man and a woman, not, not just binary, right. you know, yeah. not just certain color um, that is living this life concurrently with everybody else. We are yeah. all in yeah. existence. And, yes. You know, so, yes. And speaking yeah. of which, I think maybe now is a good time for you to read your wonderful poem. Yeah, sure. Sure. So just to segue into it, when I wrapped my book that talks about primarily identity and coming to grips with contending with the trauma of being a black queer femme in the South mm -hmm. and the racism and the bigotry that I experienced, then it's funny how my writing transitioned. And as I start to, to read this piece, I just wanted to preface it by saying that now, you know, with this, these next collections that I have out or coming out, they're all about the reclamation. I almost feel like each book is like a different step in my maturity mm -hmm. and my identity comfortability. Mm -hmm. I think like it took me a long time to get where I am. <laughs> this is from somebody who grew up in a very religious conservative household. It is huge that I wrote a poem, you know, speaking out about queerness. And then I wrote a poem about WAP. And that was big for me. You know, I was told to not talk about that, not talk about the body. And, you know, in, in religious homes or in Southern homes, they're like, no, that's not a lady doesn't say pussy, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I remember 
this poem reminds me of when I was the director over the Vedashjana monologues. And although, okay. you know, the play has been scorned for not being inclusive and equitable. That was the first time that I like, you know, as a conservative girl was like, Ooh, I can say pussy and not get in trouble. <laughs> you know, I was in college and I was like, Ooh, I can talk about like my vagina and like celebrate my body and sexuality and not be ashamed. And so when walk came out, uh, and actually met one of my best friends by like posting on Twitter that mm. I wrote a WAP poem because they had wrote one too. Sophia Bay who's a really dear friend of mine. They wrote one too and they saw that I posted about it and then we just came, became best friends. Um, <laughs> so yeah, WAP was huge for me. So mm. I'd love to, to read it for y'all. It was big in me becoming comfortable with talking about sex desire and the body as, as a black woman. So Great. here is WAP as Wishing Wells. And what is a woman but a wet cavern after it collapsed, after you made of her a dam? Rushing water bubbling over fractured oak, afraid to look back at the cliff, and some of us never even go down there. Too afraid the wood chopper will return and leave us splintered. And what does it mean to reclaim the running water of pussy, to say amen to the faucet spilling coins, all the pennies you saved up to toss in and forget? Now she has reached a reservoir of fingers that glide in and over and aren't afraid. What is a woman when she is not afraid? Is she a brook, a stream, a whole damn ocean? And what becomes of the wood? She builds a home. She builds a home in the depth of the stroke a home in the mess of her gushing geyser, and what is a pussy but a boiling spring, a hot eruption of minerals sprouting to heat the coldest column. When we say go deeper, what we mean is to dive to the bottom and open mouth bass, to drink the seaweed and the floor, to run rough tongues over our bleeding stones, to swallow the salt and be full and be full. And what is a woman but a stream waiting to run off to spill the sediment from fuck boys and men that thought of us a fish tank, a store-bought container to hold his school of trout, full-bellied and gaping all to receive the flood water rushing alive and ready and unafraid. Watch the dam she will build from the splinters, the grit and stone she will cleanse with salt. Watch her wet and waiting for pussy-pleasured oak sparking a live fire and swear this fountain wasn't home. Swear the water, swear the fire, swear it home. Thank, Thank you. you. Man, I get chills. <laughs> it's This is what's lovely about performance poetry. It's that it brings such energy to a piece that you're seeing in black and white on print. And yeah. When did you write this, by the way? I wrote this back in probably November of 2020 and then started recrafting it through December into January mm. and I'm still in the editing process of it because it's actually a sustina so mm. it's a broken sustina I um, did a workshop all about like breaking form for queer revolution mm. and so I did this in response and celebration of that as well. So I'm still editing it, but it's it's been several months okay. that I've been like working on this piece. So yeah. Okay. 
yeah, yeah, I see you changing some of the order of things. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's another thing that's not um, when you're reading something that's in print. I think people can't help but think this is the final form, right? Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> sort of like listening to an album. I'm going to a concert. There's always mm-hmm. going to be something that's a little bit different about the live experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have no idea when WAP came out, but I went to watch the video and read the lyrics after reading your poem. And <laughs> do you do you happen to know when that came out? Yeah, I'm looking it up now. And WAP came out, it says that it came out like early August 2020. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's when like most of like music, the music video came out in early August. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you hear when it came out, or did you hear later since this poem came to form in November? I am a, a slow budding baby when it comes to like sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. So like it first came out, and I was like, I celebrate them and I love that, but I'm never gonna listen to that song. That's not something that I would ever play in my. My car, and then all my friends were like, "Kalisa, come on! Like, you have to listen to the song." My sister was like, "Listen to it; it's so like just liberating and freeing." And so I, so I was a little slow on the uptake. Like, mm-hmm. I had, I had heard the beginning, but then I was like, "Ow, oh, that's not for me!" Like, I would never play that in my car. I celebrate them, and that's awesome. So I think it took me a couple of months, mm-hmm. and then when I finally listened to it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" No, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's funny because, um, well, one thing is kind of scary because I feel like whenever I talk about something with people on whatever device, somehow my other devices know about it, which it's just scary. <laughs> the funny thing is that this morning, literally, someone that I'm connected with on Twitter, as well as in real life, posted this video of Gloria Stunham reacting to a reading of WAP's lyrics and uh, speaking on feminism. But I didn't see the whole thing yet, so I have to go see the whole thing, and I have to understand because there are things like deep fakes out there now. I I have to figure out if it's a real clip or if it's just some random creative clip. (laughs) But, yeah, I I think I feel like she sort of had a similar, like, hesitance uh, yep. towards the, the the lyrics, especially the back vocals of the guy saying there is some horse mm-hmm. in this house, right? Which is, um, oh, by the way, for people who don't know, we're talking about WAP by Cardi B uh, featuring Ma- uh, <laughs> Megan The <Thee> Stallion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the back tra- track, because, because of the association with the word whore, it's so ingrained into our minds that I feel like we can't help but have that reaction that sort of like negative feelings about it well and I think culturally that's why I think I love music that is created you know I call it the Maya Angelou or Toni Morrison response Mm -hmm. WAP was created for a specific audience Mm -hmm. and so I think that's why I love black creative expression because much of what we create 
was meant for us. So mm-hmm. like any black person who grew up in the eighties or early seventies knows that the, there's some hoes in this house is actually them reclaiming a rap song that mm-hmm. was misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And so there's a rap song that says there's some hoes in this house. And so like all of us know that like anybody who was an eighties baby, we know that. Mm-hmm. And we know that they're using that as a reclamation to say, you're not going to call me a hoe, you know, like if you're going to mm-hmm. call me a hoe, I'm going to reclaim. Cause like Jasmine Sullivan, I have a whole article coming out in Catapult mm-hmm. about how Jasmine Sullivan's album Hotels mm-hmm. is the soundtrack to my sub- sexual liberation and freeing of shame. Mm-hmm. And again, Jasmine has chosen to reclaim the word hoe. And so I think that like, for me, that wasn't particularly like my problem. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say the word problem. That wasn't my hesitancy. My hesitancy is that I think Cardi B can be so crass and just like ballsy with like (laughs) what she says that sometimes I can't imagine myself like, and again, like I said, I am still coming to a place of like being comfortable with like enjoying what what we call ratchet, Mm. (laughs) ratchet music. Mm. So I think like I'm, I need to give myself more permission Mm. to like honor ratchetity when it comes to music, because Mm. I'm still in a place of like, Oh, I would never listen to that on my free time. Like some of the stuff she says is like so out there in the song that I'm just like, Whoa, like, (laughs) so that was my hesitancy. I think it was more about, I think for a lot of people, that's what it was. Mm. They've never heard a black woman unadulterated, unapologetic, maybe besides Lizzo, you know, Mm -hmm. or like some of the old, like little, the old rappers, like little Kim, Mm -hmm. we've never had a black woman unapologetically, no holds bar, speak about sex and the body and desire and the way that Meg Thee Stallion and, and Cardi did. And so mm-hmm. even me, I call myself a staunch feminist, even me, you know, like I was even taken aback by it at first. And it took me a little while to say, hell no, I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate this and I'm going to love it. And even if I don't play it in my car all the time, if it's not for me to listen to all the time, that's fine. But like, I can find celebration and liberation through this song and I can cheer them on as their biggest cheerleader. So that's, that's kind of the place that I had to get with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I was reading the lyrics and I found, uh, you know, there are absolutely very straightforward, very, very like yeah. graphic descriptions, right? But then yeah. there are also a lot of metaphors. Um, you know, yep. they, they might not, they might not work as um, poetic. Well, they are poetic yeah. in many ways because I find lyrics poetic. Period. Even yes. if they're yes. done in a more a rhyming form, which modern poetry doesn't use anymore at the same time just as you said she is very straightforward but she's also representing i guess uh, because we don't know her how her view of things and i think that that is important for all of us to know is that feminism doesn't come in one size Um, right exactly and, and so we have to like we have to respect ourselves and what we are okay with in our manifestation of that, right? Um, Yeah. But going back to your poem about WAP, when you started off writing this poem, what did you want to accomplish with it? Do you think you wanted to compliment what she was saying? You know, like... uh, Yeah. uh, Or were you trying to uh, sort of uh, have almost like a debate, a back and forth dialogue with it 
I wanted to, I wanted to talk with her. I wanted to be in conversation mm-hmm. because I think after sitting with the song, I think, and just thinking about it on a lyrical level, it moved me. It gave me permission mm-hmm. to say, I've literally been bound my whole life with shame and repression and the word, no, you can't, and don't say that, and clean it up, tuck it in, silence it, erasure, erasure. Mm -hmm. And so for me, having somebody do the opposite of that and turn desire and want and need and and lusting and that being okay Mm -hmm. um, on its head, I think for me, I was like, yes, you know, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to be in conversation with her and also like tell her like yo sis this is this is what i've been going through like this is how i feel that i've been treated you know like this is how i feel like my vagina has been mistreated this is where i feel like i've been mistreated as a woman Uh, i feel like you know my desires have been quelched my fire has been put out and like you know let's talk about it so it's more of a conversation like a like a homegirl conversation Mm -hmm. i want to have with the song you know Mm -hmm. And I wrote it in a way that like, again, I think sometimes you write things for a specific audience. Mm -hmm. And I say always that like the people that it's for know that I'm talking to them. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think the people that get this, this desire to, to want to be free to long and want, Mm -hmm. I think like, yeah, that's who I'm speaking to. So yeah, that was the intention. Mm -hmm. I would love to sit in on that conversation. So if if women of color ever, you should invite her to have this conversation with you. I think it's really important to have this dialogue between the different artistic genres uh, and how we feed off each other, right? Because I also write poetry that some lyrics that stick in my head come into my poems a lot. And, you know, some sometimes a whole piece of music would make me write something. Uh, and so, uh-huh. you know, I really hope you do when you, you know, do a book tour for your second book or even, you know, now that somehow yeah. you guys can get in community and have that conversation. I think that would just yeah. be awesome. I would love to. It's funny you say that. And before, I would think that that was just a wild idea. But I think that social media actually has made that not so wild Mm -hmm. and so I would love to you know the poem is still being edited and it's still unpublished Mm -hmm. um and so when it when it does get published and when it when it gets into the book and I start touring with it I'll be in such a like different place I think in my career that would be amazing to like have me or my team reach out to her like me post it on twitter and like tag her in it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i i think i'm gonna definitely do that because i wanna i want to have a conversation with her she's so like smart and hilarious and i th- feel like we would be i'm speaking about cardi b mm-hmm. like i think we would be friends and so i just want to have like a conversation with her and just like cut up with her about this because it's also a mantra like the reason why i read it with so much passion and people are like oh my god please read this poem at your next reading because (laughs) it's a mantra for me like if i could put this on a scroll and like put it on my wall i would Mm. um so i i want to talk to her about it and i i would like i would frame this and like mail it to her yeah (laughs) and be like you've inspired me so much (laughs) 
Yeah, I think as an artist, you certainly would understand that you know finding muses at different places from different places,、yeah. and maybe she'll、yes. she'll write another song, you know, in in、oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, right. Just keep this dialogue going. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's a poem. Yours is a poem, and so it has a lot of metaphors and unfamiliar metaphors as well. You know,、uh, some familiar, like sort of bordering on the familiar with the fish tank, because you know of how you know even even the slang "pussy" comes about. You know, the the idea of the cat, the fish. You know, the the smells and、yeah. and really a misunderstanding of of the vaginas.、Uh, Or vulva's ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if you if you want to tell us about your choices of metaphors as well for the poem. So you know what's interesting when I looked at the song and thought about wetness,、mm-hmm. I instantly wanted to create a world that thought of wetness in a way that wasn't necessarily sexual. Mm-hmm. But that was like wild and free, and so the first thing that I started researching was the way that bodies of water work,、mm-hmm. and so I looked them up and started thinking about the metaphor of the difference in the way a stream versus an ocean versus a brook moves.、Mm-hmm. And movement and freedom and where they go,、mm-hmm. like if you think about a reservoir and and or a stream, where does the water run off and where is it trying to escape to and why? And so those are things that I interrogated to come up with the metaphors for this piece,、mm-hmm. especially in the beginning.、Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about the idea of if if you、um, heard me talk do my talk at my launch. Or have been to any of my workshops around like fear、mm. and like writing past fear. That's something that I struggle with, and so that's where I got the metaphors that surround like an unafraid body of water.、Mm. And I think that that is a very unexpected way of looking at something, like a body of water being afraid.、Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was the most like. Powerful metaphor. This idea behind what is a woman when she is unafraid? She is a a brook, a stream, a whole damn ocean,、mm-hmm. and that for me was like the metaphor that I used to build the rest. And so, like that's where you get like the idea of like a gushing geyser because I gave myself permission to first look at. These metaphors, in a way that were like non-sexual, just like technical.、Mm-hmm. Like, if we were to look at water, how can we compare this freedom that I'm longing for to water? And then, in the second half, I give myself permission to to make the metaphors be more、um, erotic、mm-hmm. and、um, like a gushing geyser and boiling spring, and the idea of like this longing and this desire and this need to、uh, be pleased.、Mm-hmm. Um, Is something that we have permission to do, and so yeah, that's what I was thinking when I was crafting this and trying to think of how could I paint those pictures with like luscious details, like hot eruptions and springs and minerals sprouting and hold、mm-hmm. this column. And I I specifically like use those consonant sounds on purpose、mm-hmm. to like mirror very sensual words and the reclamation of sensual words. That we are often told like not to use or that are not okay, or we always come up with like. That's why I love your the poem that you wrote because it reminded me of like 
that joke. I forget the, the feminist comedian, but she's like, everybody will use like those moms, mm-hmm. those like stepper moms that use like every word, you know, for, um, your like sexual organs, but mm-hmm. the actual word and how damaging <laughs> that is for children. Oh, yeah. And so like, that's why I was like, you know what? I'm going to like, through consonant sounds, I'm going to reclaim everything we were told not to say. Pussy, cunt, you know, come, you know, all those things that we were told not to say. Mm. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim those through these sounds. Mm. So yeah, yeah. That's what I, I tried to do with sound and metaphor and, and images in the piece. That's, that's really wonderful. And I love how just in the first stanza itself, we are like, go down there. But some people never yeah. go down there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing up my poem. Uh, I think I'm going to read it now and then ask you this next question. And I think okay. that both of our poems talk about. Okay. My poem is called Weather Landmarks. Penis, vagina, clitoris, testicles, the male-wrapped heroin, nipple, tongue, rectum, an annotated map, cock, Dick, me stick, throbbing column of veins, glitzy, who knew, maybe the post come shine? Shaft, pulsating rod, leaking organ, perhaps get it looked at by a professional. Fire hose, painter's brush, at half mask, to lacquer the inner cave. Pussy, hole, vagina mite, the non-Australian Vegemite, also easty, and brews trouble storms. Honeypot, cunt, the milves twat, a fountain of youth, the dizzying lopsided ratio between his and hers centers the man in the boat, unheard of term, to masculinize the clit, the mysterious nub hidden in his cave, the treasure so few seeks rarely finds see male center ratio above balls sacks swing back into known territory nips and tuck collagen filler on the marred rib muscles into rim anus bunhole shitter that's the way it often ends she says (laughs) so good so good oh my goodness Thank you so much. So the question I have for you that, as I mentioned, both of our poem addresses is that first stanza when you talked about conolingus, you know, and and saying some of us never go down there too scared. The woodchopper will return and leave us splintered. Now, (laughs) when I read this, because I come from a, a straight uh, cisgender woman's point of view, I saw um, only that that male-female relationship. But I wonder if that is what you meant or if you were investing other meanings into it. I was investing both that and other meanings. So the, the funny thing about some of us never go down there is actually inspired by, I said earlier that I um, have not only directed, but been in the play and was asked to take my poetry and create like another version of Vagina Monologues. I've been in it over like 10 times mm-hmm. and have sat with like similar pieces like into Zaki Shange's work. And so that mm-hmm. actually comes from 
an image or idea from the play, the vagina monologues and stuff that's in for color girls with Intozaki Shange mm -hmm. and the idea behind like, not only that your partner. And I think we naturally think of the binary, like guys never go down there, but actually that was a line in the monologue in vagina monologues, the idea behind women never go down there. Mm -hmm. And there are so many women. She did a study about how many women and women identified folks actually have like never seen their vagina lips like they don't mm -hmm. like they like other people have pleads them but they've never like taken a mirror mm -hmm. and like spread their lips and like gone in there and like either for like biological reasons or health reasons or just for pleasure reasons they've mm -hmm. never even looked at it right. and so I meant it on you know all levels of like self-pleasure you know partner pleasure across like gender variance and sexual identity like I think I meant all of that. And I, I loved playing with the word wood chipper because I knew people would instantly think someone who was male identified, but mm -hmm. I actually meant across the spectrum mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that like, there's that fear, that trauma, you know, cause I'm a survivor of trauma. And I think for me, that was important. That line was important to put in there because I wanted to paint that image of like reasons why we never go down there, why our partner doesn't go down on us, why we don't pleasure ourselves and look down there. Because we're, a lot of times we're afraid, you know, like mm -hmm. there's fear surrounding self-pleasure mm -hmm. and allowing other people to please us. It's like a very personal act to have, you know, someone go down on you. So yeah. that's, that's really what I wanted to like uh, create that image I wanted to create there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us, all of us to talk about it. And one of the reasons that is such a prohibitive topic to talk about, I feel like is tied into the world of victim blaming when it comes to sexual assaults, right? Because yeah. there is this binary that again, the ecosystem, current ecosystem still operates in where apparently if a woman talk about sex or mm -hmm. if she is sexually free, if she dares to express her sexual yeah. desire, somehow that is taken to mean it's okay for anyone to yep. do whatever they want with her. Um, yep. Even if a lot of men think that, I don't even think that works with men. Because, yeah. you know, there are plenty of men who, yeah, they have fantasies about this and that, but if you ask them about their fantasies, the target of their desire is a specific type that they want. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that choice, that autonomy, mm -hmm. that self-protection, you know, is all the, the double standard there is, is so much rooted in, you know, all of the work we still need to do around toxic masculinity and misogyny. And, mm -hmm. and that is also what I try to, the theme that I try to run through this entire, this entire piece of mm -hmm. like, we no longer, you know, need your permission to like be free to, to say what we want, where we want, you know, do what we want and have as many partners as we want to without mm -hmm. shame. And like, you know, just how for so long, like men and male identified folks have been celebrated, you know, as like a conquest of how many partners they had. Right. Women have been ostracized and stoned and uh, throughout history, you know, their lives have been taken for being, you know, promiscuous. And so we've, you know, we've been fighting for centuries on just to be able to say like, I should be able to like have my needs met and have pleasure mm -hmm. and that like should not be policed. And so, yeah, for sure. I like, I really wanted that to be like the center focus of like 
the ending message that people left on that like we've been fighting so hard to get to a place where we can have a song like walk like mm-hmm. that's why it's so huge and that's why i really liked your piece because i loved the mapping because it sounds like a journey mm-hmm. it sounds like it this is a journey that we've we've come through and gone through to like get to this place where we can name these things but mm-hmm. also like the body is a map too i just love all of that that it, it speaks of journey and traveling and where we've gone, where we, where we're going. I love that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I of think, course. you know, again, going back to the commonalities within both of our poems is that I also mention about people not being able to find the clitoris or what is yes. the clitoris. And even yeah. if they think uh, people who think they're knowledgeable about the vulva, I think that, oh, it's a button, it's it's hidden, it's a hooded button. It really isn't. It's so much yeah. more. It's an organ. Yeah. It's partly yes. hidden, partly exposed. And the ironic thing is that our genitalia or the evolution of our genitalia really tells us so much about our sexualities as well, right? Mm. Because yeah. the fact is, if... Our partners pleasured us, um, you know, the way we want, then the clitoris, the clitoris organ actually um, operates almost the same way as a penis. Mm-hmm. It engorges. Yep. It actually, yep. Yep. you know, this idea of tightness, right, actually mm-hmm. comes from how aroused a woman yeah. is rather than how, how unused her vulva mm-hmm. for a pussy is mm-hmm. which is yep. like such a <laughs> if you think of you know that narrative of you know because she's virginal therefore she's mm-hmm. tight no mm-hmm. really if you want it to be tight please her yeah please her yes <laughs> yeah 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 and encourage her to please herself yeah. you know like me and my um sex therapist i have a like sex therapist and a physical therapist mm-hmm. um that like helps me and we were talking about that about like the tightening up actually comes from in a, in another spectrum mm-hmm. I, uh this is a little bit about me i deal with something called like levator spasms which is when your um like vaginal muscles are so tight that you have to get them to calm down mm-hmm. and she says what helps them calm down is actually not just pleasure but you using that muscle in a more like meditative way mm. and so instead is actually what you said like instead of like shunning it and not going down there and not dealing with it it the more you use it you know the more you uh pay attention it's mm. that care and that attention if you pay attention to it and and breathe through it um with like mindful pleasure mm. you actually will be able to like have a, a deeper orgasm um, mm. and a more like pleasurable orgasm. So I think you're absolutely right. It's that miseducation that we get though. Oh, that misogynistic wow. miseducation that's like, oh, well, we want, you know, <laughs> women that are like inexperienced and like have never done anything and she doesn't please herself and that's when it feels the best. And it's like, no, you want, a, it feels the best when you have a woman that's empowered, that knows her body, that's been down there, that mm. knows what she wants. Like, that's the best experience, you know? So, yeah. 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 I mean, it is so important to, for, for the, everyone in, across the gender spectrum to really understand yes. what is their sexuality, what 
yes. pleasures them, right? You know, there are unfortunately sexual acts or sexual kinks that do involve the breaking of boundaries, and that's uh, because sex is not just the physical, but it's also the yes. psychological. Uh, yes. And I think that's something that we need to explore much more of. We have to be comfortable talking about sex in order to explore those areas as well. Because if we never talk about it, then we have no idea um, yeah. how sexuality runs the spectrum. Yeah. And I did want to note that we are kind of, uh, I did, I'm glad that you said that because some of what we're talking about is the binary of like a male identified, um, a cis male um, relationships with women. And, mm -hmm. you know, we haven't even got into, you know, different gender identities and variances, but yeah. And that's important to note too, that, you know, with every partnered relationship and like, depending on what your kink is and, and what pleasures you like this, this can definitely change. We're talking about like one, you know, one narrative, but mm -hmm. I did want to like preface our conversation by saying that this isn't like the complete narrative. This is just one perspective. So, yeah. 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 And I think it's very important to uh, realize that, you know, it is a spectrum and not everyone yeah. falls on the polar opposites of that male. You know, it's not just male, female or straight cisgender, male, female. Right. Um, it's when I have these conversations with uh, random people and the things that some male identifying people tell me are, I'm like, you need to have a conversation with your partner. Yes. Because clearly yeah. your partnership is not satisfying you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I do realize that some people, and I, male, female, wherever you are on this gender spectrum, some people will cheat no matter what. There's a pleasure yeah. involved in that aspect. It's almost a kink yeah. in itself. Yeah, um, yeah. At the same time, there are many people who cheat because they are not finding the physical, psychological gratification yeah. that they thought they would get in their relationships. Yeah, it's that fear again. You know, like going back to our pieces, I think also it's that miseducation and that fear of like voicing what you need and voicing what you want. Like I feel like when we talk about sexual relationships and desire and like healthy relationships, that's half the battle. That's half the problem. Like mm -hmm. communicating your needs. But I think because we are we were embedded in this like silence culture, mm -hmm. like the way we were socialized, mm -hmm. you know, we were socialized to not talk about these things, to not name what you need and what you want. And I think that's how you get, you know, unfulfilled partnerships when people don't communicate. So that to me is like this whole thing we're talking about with liberation and with freedom mm -hmm. and with like voicing needs. Mm -hmm. I think you'll see a lot of that be corrected. If we just like say it, like if you want non-monogamy, say it, you know, if you are into kink, say it, if you, whatever you want, like whatever pleases you just say it, you know, and if that person can't handle it, then maybe they're not for you. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I've been super blessed to have a partner that, and now I'm married and you know, things have, have definitely just like become a, a, a free for all, which I'm like blessed to have a partner like that. <laughs> but like we were dating, I was blessed to have somebody that was like 
yeah, like you're queer. Awesome. I support that. I celebrate you. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is your past. This is your story. You are a victim and survivor of trauma. Like I'm here. I support you. You know, like this is what you need to feel fulfilled. I'm here. I support you. And like, I too, like am into kink and into like being explorative with your sex. And like, and so I think like everybody doesn't have that luxury to have somebody who is celebrating that. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to encourage people like, get with someone who's gonna you know make you feel safe to voice your needs so yeah yeah I'm really glad you brought up safety because the non-communication aspect some of it is our own doing right we don't communicate some of it is also outside uh, enforced because uh, again this idea unfortunately our judicial system as we've seen with the Kavanaugh hearings or even the presidential elections and I mean the current one as well is the silencing of victims of saying somehow because she's not perfect because the victim Uh is somehow not perfect that Uh it's okay Uh what happened and and we need to get away from that we need to really work on our ecosystem in order to allow us to communicate both with ourselves first to to have a self-understanding healthy self-understanding of what we want you know in life but also specifically here in sexual sexuality um and then then can we um possibly communicate that to our partners if we exist in an ecosystem where we know we would be protected if god forbid something happens yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because healing you know like there has to be healing on our side as well Mm -hmm. and there has to be education and reformation you know there's a reforming that has to be done with our with our ecosystem as you say all the systems that are in play that oppress women um, women identified folks and so i think that yeah there's like a double-sided work that has to be done but that healing is like so vital because you brought up a good point like you know you can't just tell folks that are survivors of trauma (laughs) just say what you need you know like that is a very um that's that's minimalizing the big issue which is like people don't feel safe because look at our country yeah like if the leader of our country said that they were gonna grab our private parts you know in a way that was so violent you know and misogynistic mm-hmm. then of course we don't feel comfortable like if everything we see in in politics and in, in media is particularly like white cis men saying that they're going to police our bodies of course we're not going to want to speak up about you know right. our desires or what we want or need so right. i want to honor that too and i'm glad that you brought that up because it is it's not as easy as just like yeah just say it you know yeah, yeah. I, I communication is important but communication happens on all different levels both spoken and unspoken and the unspoken that our government is doing uh, toward us is that they're saying you're not safe speak up and you will not be protected yep. because yep. if you admit to one thing if you if you say i'm interested in even if it's not kink you know even just saying yeah. I, i'm i'm interested in having premarital marital sex even though that sounds yeah. ridiculously <laughs> ancient <laughs> it, it is still a problem yeah. you know this communication is constant and the silencing is constant. And even yeah. our current, you know, president, uh, this is someone who's been accused uh-huh. of rape. Yeah. 
and still yep. got the nomination yes. somehow yep. from behind. Yep. I, I don't know how he yep. got it, but you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and the judgeships, you know, per having permanent judgeships, despite, despite, yep. uh, you know, the, yep. these accusations, yep. despite display of uh, actual contempt for yeah. uh, those who want to find out what happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I was just going to say it's nothing new, you know, like, uh, our current president is is not the first, and we we have continued through the history of this country to put people in power that have been oppressive to women and women identified folks, and also have been perpetrators of so much violence against bodies. And so mm -hmm. I think that like it, it wasn't surprising to me, uh, and that's why I think like. These, these poems that we're writing, this art that we're creating, songs like WAP are so revolutionary mm -hmm. because we have literally, since the beginning of time, put people in power that have been perpetuators and perpetrators of violence. Mm -hmm. uh, and so specifically against women and women identified bodies. And so I think like it um, is something that sadly we can look throughout history and say like we were almost founded on that. And when women and women identified folks create art, that to me speaks out against that. That's such a revolutionary act to say that you're creating art that speaks out against that in a place that was built on sexual violence against women. Like mm -hmm. that's huge. And that's why I think like, you know, this art we're creating has the power to, to shake things up, but also why they're so afraid. You know, so many people yeah. boycotted, you know, the song WAP oh. and songs like that okay. um, because they were like, oh no. And of course they did, because that's all we've been taught is like we put people in power that are violent against women and then we don't want to, to teach our kids and our young people about sex and then we don't allow women to talk about it mm. for sexual pleasure. And it's just like it's a bunch of repression mm -hmm. uh, and violence and erasure and silencing. And so we're acting against the tide at all times when we create art like this. So yeah. I get so passionate about because I, it's such a it's such a big deal yeah um, it's out into the world so yeah 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 I and mean, it affects our everyday lives um, yeah because we never know when we encounter someone how much work we need to do not only yeah. just protect ourselves but also to educate in order to mm -hmm. get the pleasure it's like <laughs> Why do I have yep. to do so much work yep. in order yeah. to get the same pleasure that you can get wherever, yep. whenever you want, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's work to normalize. It's work to educate. But I think that that's also like the plight of the writer that even unconsciously by way of doing this art form, mm -hmm. we are naturally educators. Yeah. We are are naturally normalizers. Like I think about your poem and just like you naming all of these sexual organs mm -hmm. and like genitalia and like sexual acts. And that to me is an education in itself. It's the like sex ed that they're stripping out of schools in the way that we need to just normalize that conversation. Like I feel like writers are just doing all of this work <laughs> to like Yeah. Let's just totally make it a normal conversation so like generations after us this won't be so taboo like why can't we just say the word clit and like that not be type taboo you yeah. know and hopefully uh knowing when we say the word clit knowing that 
people actually understand exactly what I what we mean, right? I Rather mean, than yeah. just a button under a hood because that's wrong, right? You know, like, um, and and it's not like we didn't already know about the structure. I mean, this structure was explored over a hundred years ago. It's right. not taught. That's right. the trouble. Is that again going back to the education and going back to the leveling the playing field so that people who yeah. are talent, both talented and decent human beings, because that's more yeah. important than talent, uh, yeah. to to come through to be able to uh, have the room to shine. Uh, yes. Is so important, so that we aren't continually being bombarded by this yeah. image of the talented but horrible person as yeah. the celebrated artist, because right. that's not okay. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't. It's it's not. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting you bring that up because a friend of mine, Denise Andrews, that runs the Gila Board, she interviewed me and we talked about exactly that just from a more of a BIPOC lens. Mm -hmm. But we talked about like, she said, why is writing outside the canon so important? And I said, because we have literally been learning about these problematic white cisgender men, these crusty old white men for literally centuries that were problematic mm -hmm. they were problematic it's deeper than just being like good or bad which i don't necessarily like you know assigning those terms mm -hmm. but i would say problematic men have been perpetuated that didn't even see bipoc folks women queer folks as human they didn't even put us on like the level of humanity so why have we been perpetually teaching our youth you know, and our young adults, these same problematic people, regardless of what their, you know, moral compass, let's not even talk about their morals and their ethics and their values, mm. but like the folks didn't even, you know, didn't even consider us worth mentioning as people of color, you know, or women being on the same level as men, you know, in these, these ancient revered stories that we love you know and we say that those are the as you said the best of the best and the most talented and that's that's problematic in itself to say mm -hmm. that like these figures that we've been looking up to that don't even acknowledge the rest of humanity outside mm -hmm. of whiteness you know or white straightness and so that's why I think, you know, what you're saying is so important because I think about all of the old men we were taught and, mm -hmm. and to say that like they are the most talented among us is highly, you know, offensive and mm -hmm. not true, but yeah. also it's something that we have to like every day work against, you know, mm -hmm. we have to push it against this idea of like that is the, the standard mm -hmm. to look up to. Yeah. And we, as you said, we forget all of the, the myriad of voices that we have that are out there that not only surpass all those men we were taught, but like outshine and just provide a needed and necessary narrative that has been like whitewashed and like taken out um, of like what we were, we were taught in the canon. So that's why what you said is so important to me, just like providing a different perspective as a, as a queer woman of color. I think that's why, I try not to like celebrate these, like put, put people on pedestals, especially folks that we were taught. Cause it's, it's damaging. That's such a damaging thing to do. 
Yeah, in a way, it celebrates ignorance, right? And yes. looking at the past presidency, that celebration of ignorance is what、mm-hmm. allowed the past presidency, and also what allowed this pandemic to run rampant because、yeah. of the celebration、yes. of ignorance. ignorance.、Right? Yes, for for yeah. for yeah. somebody to become the greatest, quote unquote, the greatest, yet. Who cannot acknowledge the rest of the world? Yeah, that is some、yeah. real like <laughs> ignorance. Yeah, just yeah. I, you know, it's so sad that we would put somebody like that on a pedestal. Yet we have done it over and over and over again to our own detriment. Yes, very much so to our own de- detriment. In Ghost in a Black Girl's Throat, I have a whole poem for that, written for Alice Walker because she she came to my city in North Carolina to talk about like banning, like the the idea of this what we're talking about, but、mm. doing it through the vehicle of banning books.、Mm. And yes, to our own detriment. Imagine a world without Alice Walker. Can you even like imagine not having Toni Morrison? Like the, if you、mm. look at the banned books list, it's like all of the great classic, <laughs> you know, like BIPOC writers. <laughs> And like queer writers,、mm-hmm. and like anything that mentions like queer sex, blackness, like womanhood, women wanting sex, like desire, like slavery, racism, all banned. And so imagine us like if you just take those topics and imagine all the books we would never have anymore.、Mm-hmm. It's definitely to our detriment, but it really speaks to like the oppressive systems that are always at play. That have way too much power and like shows the amount of like work we have to do as folks fighting for change through our art. But yeah, just I can't like I say that in the book. Like imagine a world without these stories. Like imagine if they were to win、uh, when they try to like silence us, and they do win far too often、uh, because so many. We were talking about the Vita count off mic, and like、mm-hmm. we know from data that so many of these stories that need to be told, like. Just for as many Maya Angelou's and, and Toni Morrison's and Alice Walkers there are, Tiana Clark's and Dorothy Chans and all the people that are like, you know, progressively BIPOC queer folks. Like, imagine all of the writers though that don't get published because of、yeah. that, or、yeah. like that don't get notoriety because of their identity、um, or who they are, that don't get reviewed, that will never be on the top ten list, that don't get awards.、Mm-hmm. You know, so. We have so much work still to, you know, to do because there's still so many out there that like fall prey to, you know, to those oppressive systems. So yeah, yeah, that currently yeah. currently exists, still thrives. Yes, and, yes, and continues to, and and it really is a sign of abuse as well, right? You know, you're、yeah. in an abusive relationship when <laughs> that person tries to limit your world, limit your ability、mm-hmm. to. Interact with the outside world, and it is the、yeah. same on a on、mm. a macro scale as well. When、mm. governments are saying you cannot have access to this these、mm. people's writing, these people's art, to minimize their contribution in the world, despite them having lived these amazing, you know, there are women artists throughout history that are not being talked about. They were famous in in their days, but they, we do not know them because their stories are being consciously erased, and that needs to stop 
happening. Uh, it doesn't, you know, no matter what, there will be um, BIPOC women and, and, and just women in general uh, and yeah. different gender ad- identifying people in general who will be great in whatever it is their chosen profession or chosen, yeah. you know, creative fields because we, no matter what, we live. We live in this life. We exist. Whether or not other people want to blind themselves from that existence. Yeah, for sure. I think you said that so beautifully. You know, something you just said is a a poem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said that, like, that's such an abusive relationship to strip somebody's ability to interact with the world around them. I'm going to write that down. That's, (laughs) yeah, that's going to be a poem that I write. That's really Yay. good. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. I really, really appreciate us having this dialogue about being open with sexuality. Yeah. You yes. Know, this is part of yeah. our humanity, the, yes. the sexuality. Yes. The world would not be so overpopulated if people didn't have <laughs> sex. You know, it's just... <laughs> you know, it, it might be better if we have, you know... Less children, but more, you know, good sex. Really good. More orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Let's try having that, you know, because the world is unfortunately overpopulated. (laughs) But it doesn't mean we should stop having sex. We can have. No, we should not. Yeah. Good, protective, (laughs) satisfying sex. Satisfying and safe. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. For sure. And with that, I want to close our conversation by asking you a if you have any virtual open mics that you would recommend and b how do we follow you and find out what you're up to yeah so i am gonna be a part of lots of what catapult is doing i'm their new instructor Mm -hmm. and a part of the sundress readings that are happening um, at the beginning of the year. And then um, Unlearning Eden, my forthcoming collection, of course, in the upcoming January. So I'll be doing like readings for that. But the best way to find out what I am doing is going to kalisaray.com and also following me on Twitter or on all of the social media platforms. So I'll have lots going on with it being an illustrated collection. I can't even imagine all the cool things I'll be doing uh, at the beginning of the year with with the art piece that's attached to it. So be looking for some really cool things for me. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this. Thank you. This was, oh my gosh, this was such a great conversation. I had such a good time. Good, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.